Christmas, happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, happy 2020. Our vision is clear. Warren Sharp is here. This is my first podcast of 2020 and the first time that I get to say, how about them Eagles? Baby, knocking out the Cowboys. We still don't know if Jason Garrett is fired. We got Ron Rivera in Washington. We're waiting to see what happens in New York. We got a new coach coming in in Cleveland, but we got four games this weekend. We got the playoffs starting, and I got Warren Sharp. Warren, how has this last week been for you? Not just the holidays, but also all the changes and the playoffs and all that in the NFL. Yeah, it's been it's been great. Uh, definitely try to take a little bit of time with young kids to spend a little bit more time with them over the holidays. And we celebrate Christmas. So that was that was fun. Um, but, you know, as the regular season inches into the postseason um, and, and I'm fortunate enough to be employed, um, it's a lot of stress making these recommendations for. Uh, the playoffs and and for game plans for some of the teams. Yeah, you're not even talking about your website. You're talking about you still have teams that you've been working with all year that are in the playoffs, and that's pretty awesome, man. Like it's it's almost like you're a part of it. So it's it's got to feel good. Yeah, it 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 does. Um, it might have some swag on the way. Um, Ooh. And uh, but no, it's fun because. The chat, like the stakes just get raised every single week. I'm working my ass off to try to figure out outside the box things that these guys might not be looking at that might give them some edges for this particular matchup. And the most important things that I think that they should be doing to try to create the easiest path to victory for them. But in the playoffs, their opponents are going to be significantly better than the average regular season opponent. And the challenge is just monumental. So that's what uh, is stressful, but so much fun because I love doing this. So if you can find a job that you love, um, it doesn't feel like work as much. Facts. So that's a stage that I'm at. Um, Warren, for you, I, I notice, you know, top of your website right now, you are 134 and 77 in your lifetime postseason record. That's 64%. Pretty damn freaking good. Uh, how do you feel about wild card, divisional, what's the round that typically has the most value where you see a big gap? Because now the public only has four games to bet, so the line can move a lot. Which round really do you see the most value for yourself? Divisional. Uh, okay. No about it. Not only is the divisional the single best weekend of the NFL year, and that's why we planned this out months ago that I'm coming up there live yep. in the flesh. Uh, before those games next weekend, because uh, that is my favorite weekend of the NFL calendar. You have the four best teams who took a break, had a week of rest, come back. And the public remembers a lot of the the public. gets very confused that week. It's a lot of fun because uh, they remember what they just saw. And naturally, the four teams that won advance from wildcard round. So they've got that and they love to bet what they just saw. But then they also know that these four other teams were so good that they had an extra week of rest. And so where do they put their allegiance with what they just saw or with 
the best team and those best teams, the public tends to bet. So they're very conflicted oftentimes. How about wild card? Like I, I have historically done very well in the wild card, but I've also had some wins that I probably shouldn't have. Like when Mariota beat the Chiefs and caught his own touchdown, I had the Titans. So I, I, I won, but I don't know if I should have. How do you typically do during wild card? And what are your, what are the things you have to remind yourself for wild card week? Well, I mean, they call it wild card week for a reason. It's, it's pretty wild. You've got four teams that are hosting games because they won their division. And that does not necessarily mean they're all good teams, as we're seeing. Some teams are lucky to be there. Uh, some teams are home dogs this week. And then you've got the road teams, which maybe they're good. Maybe they luck their way into the postseason. Um it's it's incredible that we've got the New England Patriots, you know, the defending Super Bowl wow. champ has to has to host a playoff game this week. We've got a team like the Seahawks with so many wins. It has to go on the road this week. Um, it's I don't really notice any specific trends from my my results sure. in terms of what I do in the wild card round. But there are definitely um a lot of X factors that play into the results and those things seem to get magnified. You know, having that lead at halftime seems to be more important. Having the turnover battle go in your favor seems to be more important uh, when you've got teams that weren't good enough to get, you know, those first round buys. So I I still can't believe Miami beat new England and and really just a a non-playoff team, Miami, you got a good one in Brian Flores. I told you halfway through the year when they beat the Colts that you found your guy. That's the most important thing in the tank. You found him. He went into New England and beat him, and Ryan Fitzpatrick drove down. I, unbelievable. Your EDSR record, after I factored in week 16, because we did not do this for week 17, overall, using EDSR traditional and trending, which was the, the four weeks, 56-17 and 17 overall which is 76.7% straight up, pretty damn good picking winners, and 39-27-1 against the spread. That was 58.2 against the spread. Pretty good because that's not even what the point of the model was. Uh, so 58.2, pretty darn good. Um, first matchup of the weekend, Saturday afternoon, these were both teams that I said at some point during the year we're going to be great teams that lose in the wild card and they are playing each other. And so I don't know what's going on. Bills at Texans, uh, right? It, it started off Texans favored by three. It is now Texans by two and a half. In my mind, these are the two teams that peaked in week 13. Buffalo beat the Cowboys in Dallas on Thanksgiving. There were articles being written about how great they were. Uh, They have now lost three of their last four since then. The Texans, that same week, week 13, beat the Patriots in Houston, and they looked the best they have looked all year. So both of these teams seem to have peaked in week 13 and have come back to life. Of the four EDSR mismatches, whether it be traditional or trending, Warren, where does this one rank and who does it favor? And let's break this bad boy down. Okay, so uh, let's start with the season-long EDSR, and it favors uh, the Houston Texans, in this case primarily due to an offensive advantage. The Bills have a defensive advantage. Houston has the offensive advantage. It's actually the second-strongest EDSR mismatch from a uh, season-long perspective. Right. But 
when we look at the trending model, we still favor the Houston Texans slightly, uh, but it is the least uh, strongest of the four matchups from an EDSR perspective when we're looking at just the trending model. And that primarily is due to the regression of the Houston Texans defense Mm. uh, towards the end of the season. So... They have a lot of people coming back. Uh, a lot of people got to rest the last few weeks. Hopkins didn't play in week 17. Um, of course, um, Deshaun Watson didn't play in week 17. There's a chance that J.J. Watt could play in this game. Who knows what he's going to be capable of. Uh, Buffalo did lose three of their last four. They lost to the Ravens at home. They lost at the Patriots. They did play well in both of those games. And then week 17, they lost, but we're not really counting that because Buffalo really didn't trot anybody else out. Let's talk about the, the best matchup, which is the Houston Texans offense, the Buffalo Bills defense. What jumps out to you on that side of the ball as we see the Texans try to get healthy and take on Sean McDermott's D? Yeah, on that side of the ball, what's interesting to me is the fact that the Houston Texans offense um, – has played a, about an average schedule of opposing defenses so far this year, but and they haven't played any defense. We know the Bills have a sixth-rated defense. They've got a very good overall defense. They have not played a team that ranks bottom half since all the way back in Week 9, Houston. So Houston hasn't played any really uh, bad defenses, so they've been earning whatever they've re- received and whatever they've taken against decent defenses to date. Uh, But the Buffalo Bills have played the second easiest schedule of opposing offenses. If you look at who they've played, uh, let's say since week 11, they've played the bad offense of the Dolphins, the bad offense of the Broncos, the bad offense of the Steelers, and the bad offense of the Jets. When they played a good offense of the Patriots, they lost. New England was able to run on them pretty consistently. Uh, We're going to be talking about an interesting um, element to what New England was doing to see success uh, when we talk about that game. But they were using a lot of uh, 21 personnel for the first time in a long time and had a lot of success. They also lost to the Baltimore Ravens, very close game, but narrow margin, one score loss. And then, of course, they beat the Dallas Cowboys on national TV, and that was the game on Thanksgiving where Dallas's offense couldn't really do anything whatsoever. We all thought pretty much that Dallas was going to have success, but – You need to take that into some context. Dallas moved the ball really well. I think they had four or five trips into the Buffalo Bills 25-yard line and literally walked away with three total points. They missed some field goals. They went for it on downs and didn't didn't have success. So when I look at this game, the strength of the schedule thing is pretty big. Buffalo really has not faced any good opposing opposing offenses um, where they've had a lot of success except for that game against the Cowboys, which they allowed success, just not points. Right. And and look, Houston is a different team at home, especially in the Dome. They can get going. This this seems like a a matchup on this side of the ball where if I I firmly believe that McDermott understands the – offensive concepts that the Patriots execute. Uh, And that includes, to a base level, what Bill O'Brien does. I think he knows and can figure out where you're going to attack. He's the one defensive mind that was able to slow down Lamar Jackson this year. He was able to go and face Tom Brady two times and really have a lot of success both times. The health of Deshaun Watson is what this that side of the ball comes down to for me. If he's able to go full Deshaun, 
and Will Fuller is able to go, we know how different this offense is when Will Fuller is a part of it. On the other side, this is a Texans defense that at times has looked good and at times has gotten shredded. This is also a Bills offense where with Josh Allen's turning over the ball, it's abysmal. If he keeps it, they're a run-powered machine. What is more likely on Saturday afternoon, Warren? I think we're going to actually see that the Buffalo Bills are going to have a lot of success running the football here. Um, and I'm really interested to see that because Buff- the, the Houston Texans are a little bit better stopping the run than they are stopping the pass. As you mentioned, their pass defense has been um, really bad. Yeah. But when the Bills have played top six run defenses like they did against the Eagles and the Steelers and the Patriots and the Jets, um, they average 42% success and 4.1 yards per carry. But against other defenses, and keep in mind, Houston ranks 22, so 11th worst against the run. They've gained a 50% success rate, 5.2 yards per carry on the ground when they're utilizing 11 personnel. And what we must talk about is the fact that the Buffalo Bills made a drastic switch to use a lot more 11 personnel uh, during the middle of the season. They basically went down to Miami. They stuck their OC Brian Dayball in the booth and they started basically running 11 personnel and not leaving the football field um, to substitute. They Can I interrupt their- you really quick, Warren? Just yeah. if, if I was going to self-scout, we have been all over this day ball, up in the booth, hurry up, snaps and all that stuff. But in their last five games, they've hit the under four times. And in their one win against the Steelers, they put up 17. Are you seeing a more efficient offense that's not turning into points? Because I, I know that they're, the, all the statistics are aligning that their offense is performing faster, but I'm not seeing the results in, on the scoreboard. Because they've played the most difficult schedule of opposing defenses over that stretch in time. If in the you whole look, league, number one. In the whole league. If wow, you look, okay. The season over the last month of the season, the last four games, they played number four Baltimore Ravens, number two Pittsburgh Steelers, number one New England Patriots, and number 10 New York Jets. That mm. was the schedule of a, and that Jets game didn't matter, obviously. Right, to them. right. But that game, that was the worst stretch. They played four top 10 defenses. You factor in that they beat the Broncos uh, the week after switching to that yep. up-tempo 11 personnel laden offense. They scored 20 points there, held Denver to three. That was right before they switched and put Locke in there. And then they go down to Dallas, and they put up 26 points. They really didn't have to do that much late in the game because Dallas was unable to do anything offensively. So they basically played ball control and because of the scoreboard. They were playing against the clock in that fourth quarter. Uh, But they put up 26 points in that game. They did really well even scoring in the first half of that game. So this could be one of those situations where you've been seeing them trending upwards now for a month, but the public hasn't because they're not seeing the score. And this, you think this could be an explosion point, it sounds like, maybe against this Texans defense. Well, I'm, I'm conflicted because uh, I think J.J. Watt is coming back. Is that correct? That's what everyone's talking about, yes. It looks like he's coming back. And J.J. Watt is actually better defending the run than he is the pass, historically. So if he's there and if he's at 100%, this Houston Texans defense can be better against the run. But I think when you've got, and we could throw out the statistics about how poor 
first-year starting quarterbacks are, especially when they play on the road in the postseason, they only win like 31% of their games. Do you mean like so, the first time a quarterback's in the playoffs? Correct. For Josh Allen, okay. Never gone to the playoffs, so not a rookie, but the first start in the postseason, um, especially when he goes on the road, very poor marks overall, um, which Josh Allen falls into. And so you would think inherently they would try to devise a game plan that's a little bit more, let's not lose this game early. Right. The interesting part is you're going up against a team in Bill O'Brien who has had horrific success at home in the postseason in their first playoff game. Bill O'Brien has coached four playoff games with the Texans. I'm almost positive all of them have been on Saturday as well. He is one in three. He's lost by a combined 62 points in the three losses, one of them coming to the Patriots. In the one time they won, it was against the Raiders when Derek Carr got hurt and Connor Cook played. And I am almost positive that was the last game that Connor Cook played in the NFL. Um, I do not believe I've heard of Connor Cook since then. So Bill O'Brien, when not playing Connor Cook in the playoffs, has been 0-3. Deshaun Watson's one game in the playoffs, 29-49 of for 235 and one touchdown. So it, it wasn't an interception. So it wasn't crazy. But, yeah, Bill O'Brien and this Texans team have had zero success in the playoffs. And, and here's the thing, like I was mentioning about this, and in the postseason, I focus even more on this because it really, you're able to, there's a little bit more time and it, the games really come down to this, is how do teams defend various different personnel groupings? And probably not many other shows are going to be talking about this kind of thing, but it's very important. When you're talking about the Buffalo Bills and how often they are now using 11 personnel, and then you look at the Houston Texans defense and you look at what they've done of late. Since week eight, they are allowing a 54% success rate and 5.3 yards per carry to runs from 11 personnel, which is very, very bad. Yeah. They're much better against runs from 12 or 21 personnel, but Buffalo doesn't use that very often. They're primarily an 11-based personnel. So I think they're going to have some success with the running back out of the backfield, running that football um, they're not and working. Singletary has looked really good in the last two months. They rested him last week. They used a lot of Frank Gore. Singletary is taking over there. Um, I think potentially he could be interesting for some type of a prop bet or prop angle here. But I think the matchup bodes really well. And the philosophy of Sean McDermott, which would be, I don't want you to lose this game, Josh Allen. I want you to come out and keep us in it. And let's try to slowly impose our will and force our will on this on this explosive offense on the other side of the football. We want Deshaun Watson to feel that stress and that pressure. Um, we don't want him to get out to a big lead and feel really relaxed in the pocket. I think it'll be interesting to see if they take shots deep with Josh Allen early to try and back up the defense in that 11 personnel. But I'll tell you what, DeAndre Hopkins versus Tredavious White is going to be a phenomenal matchup that, that I'm sure they're going to focus on the entire game um, right now, again, as I've said, the Texans are two and a half point favorites at home. Uh, this is just me personally. If I was betting this game, I would take Bill's money line. I think the Bills are a better team. I think that they are, I know they're on the road. I like their coaching staff a lot more. I like their lines a lot more. Um, and that's where I would lean Warren. If you were, and, and that's just one side of this, whether it's total or line, does anything jump out to you in this game? 
Well, the, I just want to add one more factor here. With the Bills using a lot of 11 personnel, I think they'll have success on the ground. I think they're going to struggle passing the football out of 11. The way that you've been able to hit bigger plays and some of this downfield explosion right. uh, is from different personnel groupings like 12 or 21. Some of the heavier sets fooling that Houston Texans defense. If you just come out and trot out 11 personnel and try to pass the ball, that's where they're actually really good defending. Um I think it is going to be fascinating. I think this game could come down to that matchup. How well does Tredavious White travel with DeAndre Hopkins and cover him? Um, I agree 100% with you. The coaching advantage is by far for Sean McDermott and the Buffalo Bills coaching staff. But there's It's the biggest out- gap of the weekend. The biggest coaching gap of the weekend is that coaching gap. I, I believe you're correct. I will say this. I don't know that the Buffalo Bills have as much um, analytically advanced edges from a play calling perspective offensively as the disparity between the Eagles and the Seahawks. Right. The Seahawks are that team that really frustrates me. But overall, if we're just talking about body of work, the the offense, defense, everything included. Yes, I 100 percent agree with you that. I think the edge from Sean McDermott to Bill O'Brien is the largest gap of any that we're seeing this week. I'm definitely concerned that the Houston Texans, if they don't have success through the air, the look, the way to beat both of these defenses is to run the football. The way to beat Buffalo is to run it. We saw what the Eagles were able to do there. Um, Will Sony Michelle in that second game, it was all him against Buffalo. Exactly. And so I think that that actually plays well to what Bill O'Brien does. The frustration I generally have with Bill O'Brien is that he doesn't pass the ball enough. There's opportune situations for him to pass the ball more, but they choose to run the ball too much. They take their running back after he has a nice 10-yard, 15-yard gain, and most of the time they're just sticking it right in his belly again after he's winded from an explosive run. The numbers totally show that this is the least efficient decision that you can make. Bill O'Brien consistently makes that mistake. All of those things being said, this is the way to beat a scary secondary of Buffalo is to run the ball and then set up the passing game off of that. So I think it plays well to kind of the style that Houston's offense tends to play. I think on the other side of the ball, Buffalo is going to have success running, struggle a little bit passing the football. I think we're going to have a good game with a lot of balance. What it's going to come down to for me is, number one, what all games come down to, turnovers. So you kind of have to throw that out. But I do think that's a big factor here, of course. And then the number two thing is, which of these offenses, when they are passing the ball, can hit some of those explosive plays off of play action, which was set up with a more emphasis on the run game. That's really what this game comes down to. I think the number is probably about correct in terms of if you just have to line the game with a point spread. Right. But we have seen this total be bet up uh, significantly. It opened at most spots in the 41 neighborhood, which is somewhat of a key number. Now we're seeing it up as high as 44. And, you know, that's significant movement because 41 is somewhat key. 43 is definitely key. 44 is another somewhat key number. Like four. 42 in this range, 42 is pretty much irrelevant. Games rarely fall on 42. 43 and 44 are more important than 45, 46, (laughs) 7. So the fact that it's sitting at 44 right now at most spots tells you that we have seen some significant sharp money bet this game over the total. Um, I'm pretty neutral on this total. I've not done anything with it. Okay. 
let us move to Saturday night, which is where New England typically plays their home divisional game after a bye, getting that nice Saturday night game so they get an extra day to prepare for the championship game. And they would send thank you cards to Les Moonves, good friend of Bob Kraft, who would fight for them on Saturday night for CBS. I'm just taking shots. Uh, started at Patriots, favored by five. Went to five and a half, went down to four and a half, and it is back to five. I'm seeing it some places right now. Some place, Bovada's got it at four and a half as we record. Westgate's got it at five and a half. Um, Pinnacle's got it at five. Uh, in terms of where these teams are, last year, week 10, Titans destroyed the Patriots 34 to 10. One of two huge games for Corey Davis that he has had against the Patriots in his career. One game he went five for 63 and two touchdowns in the wild card. Last year, seven for 125 and one touchdown. Titans coming off of a win over the Texans where the Texans sat everybody, but Derrick Henry set career highs in everything last week. 32 carries, career high. 211 yards, career high. Three touchdowns, career high. But the Patriots defense the last five games, allowing 3.56 yards per carry and no touchdowns. Bill Belichick has faced Ryan Tannehill 11 times. Ryan Tannehill is 4-7. and seven. He has a touchdown-interception ratio of 15-11. to 11. That is a big matchup to watch. EDSR-wise, how is this mismatch, traditional and trending, Mr. Warren Sharp? And who um, are we favoring? Yes, yeah, so um, interestingly enough, on the season long, the we are favoring the New England Patriots, but barely. It's the smallest favorite of any game this weekend. Wow. Uh, we're, we're favoring them barely. Now, they do stack up really well from a defensive perspective using year-to-date EDSR, but offensively, they definitely are lacking. If we're going to look at the traditional... Trending, uh, trending. I'm sorry, trending. If we're going to look at the trending and whether, let me see, if I exclude week 17, the Patriots are still favored and the Patriots are, it's the third strongest matchup of the week. So second, wow. however you want to put that, put it. If you include week 17, uh, the number gets weaker, but it does not change the fact that, that there are two matchups that are stronger from an EDSR perspective in terms of one team has the edge. Uh, this would be the second weakest or the third strongest, however you'd want to use that. Um, and, and that's if we include week 17. Interesting. Uh, let's start off when the Titans have the ball. Titans offense, probably their strongest unit right now. Patriots defense, what they're going to rely on to advance in the playoffs. I told you about Derrick Henry against the Patriots defense. Ryan Tannehill, the big matchup. Stefan Gilmore against the rookie A.J. Brown. This kid has looked incredible as of late. Big first half explosion touchdowns. Gilmore looked kind of human in week 17. Devontae Parker went off. But in my mind, I'm still voting Stefan Gilmore Defensive Player of the Year. Bill Belichick against Arthur Smith and his offense that has exploded with Ryan Tannehill. But Belichick knows Tannehill. And I'm hoping Tannehill does not go to Foxborough and says, how do I not lose this game? This side of the ball, where should we start, Warren? 
Um, I think you got to start with uh, Bill Belichick and his familiarity with Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. Now, that being said, it's a totally different offense. And they also have a very imposing run game. And New England, you know, one of the things, what do we always say about Bill Belichick and his defense? We say, what is he going to take away from you? Your number one strength. We're going to take away your strength. But the problem is with Tennessee, there's multiple ways Tennessee can beat you. There really aren't that many offenses in the league that have as good of a run game as Tennessee has with as explosive and efficient a pass game that Tennessee has. So you could try to say we're going to stick Gilmore on Brown and then we're going to load the box. That would be the easiest way if I'm the New England Patriots to say I'm going to handle this. I want to I want to limit Derrick Henry and I want to erase A.J. Brown if possible. So I'm going to use that matchup. I obviously like Gilmore on Brown and I'm going to use that matchup. The interesting part here, though, is that the Tennessee Titans are really good passing out of heavier personnel sets. And so they invite that box to be loaded by putting multiple tight ends out there, and then they're going to pass out of that. So it's very atypical from what most of the league does. We saw the Patriots have a lot of success against the 11 personnel heavy packages of, let's say, Adam Gase in the New York Jets or Sean McVay in the Super Bowl. But when you load up, uh, when you invite the box to be loaded, by using heavier personnel, and then you pass out of that. They're not really affected as much by play action, but if you still are passing out of that, that is one way that you can gain an advantage um, for your offense. And I really think that there is going to be opportunities for Tennessee. The one thing that, you know, as we're, as we're recording this, we don't know what it's going to be like on Saturday night. I don't think the wind's going to be a factor, but there is some light rain in the forecast. I've been monitoring the rain over the last few days, like multiple times per day, tracking on an hourly basis what the forecasted inches per hour of rainfall is going to be. Okay, that's the level of detail that we have to get into when we're talking about we got only got four games here. And it used to be 0.1 to 0.2 inches per hour during this span. It's expanded to 0.3 to 0.4 inches per hour. It doesn't sound like a lot, but that's basically doubling it. And once you get to point five and point six, you're talking about a little bit more of a of a more consistent rainfall as opposed to a lighter drizzle. A lighter drizzle, I'm okay with. I don't think it's going to factor as much, especially with no wind. Right. Um, but if we get a little bit of a heavier rainfall here, there is no doubt that you factor in any type of weather conditions. It's going to improve the upside of the New England Patriots on both sides of the ball and generally speaking, impact detrimentally their opponent. Ryan Tannehill, by the way, number one in the NFL, <clears throat> excuse me, in yards per pass per yards per play action pass attempt, 13. That's a huge number. That is what their offense does. I do think it's interesting. Uh, my man Polano DM'd me about this. He DM'd me this back in April. The one AFC team that's in the playoffs that the Patriots did not face this regular season was the Titans. And they were the one team in the AFC that Belichick set up joint practices with this offseason. The man is a Jedi. He knew he was going to face this team. So you see this as the Patriots are going to load the box 
and it's going to be the play action attempt. It's funny. We talked about this about two weeks ago, Warren, that Ryan Tannehill was the least effective thrower of deep balls in terms of accuracy, but his receivers in terms of Corey Davis and A.J. Brown have caught everything. And Jonu Smith has been phenomenal uh, ever, ever since their starting tight end went down. Do you have faith in them connecting on those play action passes? Well, I have faith that they'll connect, but I don't think they're going to be as productive. New England is not a team that gets beat as often as others by play action. But I will say this. If you look at what New England does, and let me pull up their uh, passing statistics here. New England is allowing some teams to have success running the football, um, particularly from uh, of late, they've, they really haven't faced hardly any 12 personnel. And the Tennessee Titans actually run 25% of the time from 12 personnel. So they run a 64% from 11 personnel and 25% from 12 personnel. And when they're running from 12 personnel, um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I said running, I meant passing. Okay. They pass all 65% of the time from 11 and 25% from 12. And that makes sense, right? Because we were talking about the heavier personnel groupings. Where they see their biggest upside, they do not see a lot of success from 11 personnel. They only see a 38% success rate, 6.5 yards per attempt. Very poor numbers in both cases. That's from 11 personnel. But from 12, they're averaging 11 and a half yards per pass attempt. The Patriots are slightly worse defending 12 personnel, but it's not monumental, and they really haven't faced very much 12 personnel. In fact, in three out of their last four games, the Patriots have faced a maximum of one pass from 12 personnel the first three quarters of the game. So they Hmm. they have not had as much experience defending 12 of late. Um, I think this side of the ball entirely, entirely, comes down and is predicated on whether or not Derrick Henry can create some semblance of a meaningful, consistent threat on the ground. We saw in his game where they struggled against the Houston Texans when they were hosting the Texans, and it was basically a game that decided the division, that he struggled to run the football. He was dealing with the hamstring a little bit, limited in some practices, He could not get any push. There was no real threat on the ground, and so they had to work the ball through the air. Now, A.J. Brown was able to burn some of those Texans cornerbacks and hit some big plays, and they did have some nice passes to some of the tight ends. But inevitably, they also, Tannehill, threw a couple interceptions, one of which I think was like that pick six, or it was almost a pick six. He went from one end zone down to like the five. It was was almost caught across the middle um, by Humphreys, deflected up, and then the linebacker took it all the way back to the ten. So there's, it's, we can't have this game, if you like the Tennessee Titans, we can't have this game come down to the run games being limited and A.J. Brown's being minimized. Oh, crap, who am I going to throw this ball to? So that will play out perfectly if you want the New England Patriots to have success. The two names that I think Tennessee needs to, to have perform well to win, uh, Shaq calls them the others. The big guys, of course, are Derrick Henry and Corey Davis and A.J. Brown. The others, to me, <clears throat> Tajay Sharp, Adam Humphreys, and Jonu Smith. If you're going to beat the Patriots and they're going to take away the main guys, you need to own the slot, which is a, a, a part of the field that the Patriots have been susceptible to getting beat, and tight ends. 
And Jonu Smith has had some big plays this year, but him, Tajay Sharp, and Adam Humphreys, a guy the Patriots tried to sign in free agency, it'll be interesting. Remember, Mike Vrabel was yelling with Tom Brady during their joint practice. The rivalries in this game are great. What were you going to add before we move to the other side of the ball? The last thing I'll add is the same thing that we've been beating the drum for and leading the march, and that is that the New England Patriots defense has played the easiest schedule of opposing offenses this season. And across the first half of the season, it was nothing but trash. Literally, those teams, the best team they faced was the 10th worst offense in the NFL. When they have played good offenses, and let's just say top 15 off, well, let's even say top 20 offenses. Wow. Okay. 20. Broad. Not even high bar. What happens? When they play a top 20 offense, okay, this is what they did. They lost to the Ravens, got crushed. They lost to the Kansas City Chiefs, allowed 23 points to them. And that was a second half where, admittedly, Andy Reid changed the game plan because Patrick Mahomes could not grip the ball and throw it down the field after bashing his hand and, and injuring his, his hand, his throwing hand. So they completely changed the game plan, didn't score after the first half, put up 23 in the first half. They played the Eagles and they played the Dallas Cowboys both of which at varying different points have had mediocre defenses, especially Dallas, poor defense. Um, those were one-score games, and those offenses of the Eagles and the Cowboys were limited due to weather conditions, extreme weather conditions, especially in the monsoon for the Dallas game. And then they played in pristine conditions against the Houston Texans, which was the 17th-ranked offense, and they gave up 28 points and lost that game. So against top 20 offenses, the New England Patriots are – Two wins, three losses. Both of the wins came in close one-score games that their defense was assisted because opposing offenses were limited in some capacity due to weather conditions. So the question that you really have to ask yourself here is, do you believe that Ryan Tannehill has made such a difference and the Tennessee Titans offense is actually a top-20 caliber offense? Now, technically, over the course of the entire season, they're actually a top-10 offense. Um, if you just look at when Tannehill was there, they're even better than that. But the Tennessee Titans have played a very easy schedule of opposing defenses. That needs to be mentioned as well. So you've got the Patriots playing an easy schedule of offenses. You've got the Titans playing an easy schedule of defenses. What happens when, you know, that water hits the rock? Is it going to break uh, and split the rock or is it going to, you know, the rock going to hold firm? It's going to be fascinating to watch that side of the football for me. I'm just going to deduce everything you de you said down to the defense is Belichick, the offense is Tannehill. I know which way I'm leaning. Other side of the ball, the Patriots' offense has not been reliable. It has not been great. It's been scary at times. Julian Edelman battling knee and shoulder injuries right now. Um, what's the main thing that you focus on with the Patriots' offense and a Titans' defense that is good but has also been very susceptible to the pass the second half of the year with their injuries uh, and their lack of pass rush. This, like, as much as the other side of the ball is fascinating to discuss with the matchup, this is really where I've been digging in and enjoying okay. uh, with things here. Uh, because I think that the Tennessee Titans, they're very good, actually. They're better against the run than the pass defensively. 
They're a top 10 run defense that's played the 15th toughest schedule of opposing run offenses. So they faced competition there. Their weakness is defending the pass, as we know. But that is not a strength of the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots have not had a lot of success passing the football. Their guys are up and down. They don't have the weapons that they used to have. The offensive line isn't quite as good. And so I can't help but look back to what the New England Patriots sort of morphed into during their run last season when Brady really wasn't playing as great and Gronk wasn't 100%. And that's a little bit more of this power run game. Now, here's where I'm going to throw a lot of numbers at you, but I think this is fun to talk about. So I'm sorry by having me on, you're going to get this element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The New England Patriots want to be a 21 personnel run team. They want to have a fullback out there. They used 21 on 65% of their runs in week one, but then in week two, James Devlin got hurt. So they were down at 37% runs from 21. Week three, they didn't even use any 21 because they didn't have a reliable fullback. Then they upgrade Jacob Johnson. Nobody knows who this guy is, but he was their fullback from weeks four to six. And they started running again at a high rate from 21. They ran 57% of the time in week four, uh, 35% of the time in week five, but then he got hurt in week six. Week seven, they were only at 3%. Week eight, week nine, they didn't use it at all. They didn't use a fullback at all, just like they didn't use it back in week three. And everybody started talking about the Patriots can't do anything offensively. The Patriots can't run the football. They're no good. Fast forward the season all the way through until week 16. And what we saw in a must-win game against the Buffalo Bills, in order to secure the AFC East crown, is Bill Belichick reaches into his bag of tricks, and you guys will again not recognize this name, but he trots out, remember this number, number 52, Elandon Roberts, linebacker. linebacker for the Patriots as a fullback. And they all of a sudden go from not having used 12, 21 personnel at all, basically, since Jacob Johnson got injured in week six, They use it on 55% of their runs in the first three quarters against the Buffalo Bills and have a great rushing day. And then I see a Landon Roberts in week 17 going going 50-yard touchdown against the Dolphins. And they really didn't run 21 very much at all in that game against the Miami Dolphins. I believe that they held back on that element of it. Of course, they wanted to win this game. Of course, they wanted home field advantage. But I can't help but believe that the Patriots went into that game against the Dolphins thinking, we know we've got an edge in Miami and these other areas. Let's right. save some of our 21 for the playoffs. Let's save the Landon Roberts running as much, you know, you being so our lead. A lot of people are going to see, oh, that's a gimmick. You, from the numbers from the Buffalo Bills game, believe Alanda Roberts could be the fix here for this Patriots run game. I truly believe that this is going to be the shock that we're going to see this game against the Tennessee Titans. Mm. The Titans have faced the like a very, as I mentioned, the 15th ranked schedule of opposing run offenses so far this season. They are at their best defending 11 personnel runs. The Titans defense... Uh, since Tannehill arrived, and I'm going to throw out week 17 because the Houston Texans weren't really didn't need to do anything there. The Titans run defense allowed a 42 percent success rate and 3.2 yards per carry. 3.2, 42 percent success. 
very good defending 11 personnel. But to runs from 21, they are allowing a 63% success rate. I believe that the Patriots are going to trot out Elena Roberts early and often in this game to be the lead blocker. It's not going to be anything that people will have seen except for that one game against the Buffalo Bills over the course of most of the season. And they're going to have a lot of success running with a fullback as the lead blocker, even though he's number 52 and he's a linebacker. So my advice to you guys, a lot of times he's going to come in and do this. He's going to report as eligible, but keep your eye in the Patriots backfield to see when 52 is out there. I bet we're going to see a lot of him as the lead blocker. this Interesting. Week. little breakdown of the teams here. Titans, 27th in quarterback hit rate. So they're good against the run, but they don't even get to the quarterback at all. And if you're going to beat Brady, you kind of need to generate a pass rush without a blitz. In terms of the short passing game, the Titans do get torn up a lot with that. It, their 10th highest completion rate in the NFL, teams like to just kind of go across the middle, and they've allowed the third most catches to running backs this season, 101 in those 16 games. So think about this. you got Elena Roberts in the backfield, a lot of 21, James White, Sony Michelle. We might see a lot of throws to the running backs, but when I think about a team that is susceptible, that can't get to the quarterback and allows a lot of short passes to running backs, and that's their weakness, this Titans defense seems to be the worst defense to go up against the Patriots. It, it, it seems like a bad matchup to me. It is. There's an element here of intrigue, though, and that's a total wild card, and that is the familiarity factor with Patriots' former defensive-minded yep. coaches going up against Bill Belichick. Now, I I mentioned and discussed the 21 personnel because I want to take you back to last season's game when New England was destroyed by the Tennessee Titans. And in that game, when New England played the Titans in the first three quarters, 58% of the time they ran from 11 personnel. And you know what they did in that game from 11? 1.7 yards per carry and a 29% success rate. When they ran from 21, 67% success rate and 4.0 yards per carry. I believe New England is going to capitalize on that. They're not going to run as much from 11. But exactly as you mentioned, okay, the problems with New England's offense is we don't have the weapons to throw down the field. Right. But if you take a game where you can run now against the Titans because everybody's going to think Titans are really good against the run. We got to throw the ball. But I think they're going to run from 21 and have success. Now you're going to all of a sudden split open that interior of what used to be a very good Titans run defense. You're going to have success running the football there. All of a sudden, Tennessee's like, oh, crap, we're going to have to do something to adjust to try to stop the run. That's going to open up things in the pass game. Oh, by the way, as you mentioned, you can't get pressure. You're going to have an edge throwing the football to your running backs with the Patriots do all often. Tennessee ranks 26th defending running back passes out of the backfield. So you're going to have some success throwing the football to these backs. You're also going to have Edelman and advantageous matchups in the slot. And then, oh, by the way, on occasion, we are going to hit one of our tight ends or our fullback Elena Roberts coming out of the backfield as the eligible receiver and catching the ball. There's going to be trick plays. New England's going to pull out all the stops all probably early in this game. They're going to have Edelman throwing the ball. They're going to have Sanu throwing the ball. They're going to have end arounds. They're going to have reverses. They're going to run the ball with the linebacker as their lead blocker. Yeah. There be everything on the table. And to be honest with you, 
this is the way that every single coach should be coaching a game in the postseason. Screw the element of, well, we do these things good, so let's just do these nonstop and let's not deviate much. The whole bag of tricks on the table, you're going up to New England. I really hope that the Tennessee Titans try to do everything in their power offensively to win this game because defensively they're going to be reacting a a lot and they're going to be dealing with Belichick and Brady emptying the bag of tricks on them and they need to do the same and reciprocate that. Five and a half, 44. Either of those numbers jump out to you. The total, once again, here has been bet up, just yep. like we saw in the first game. This Started one started at 42.5, now up to 44. Yes, and I think if we don't get weather here, given the way that I believe the Patriots' offense can look better, um, again, we I, I alluded to it, but I didn't mention it. I want to share some numbers with you here real quick oh, about yeah. Bill Belichick against his former assistants when we're talking about what their offense has done. Um, obviously they lost to the Miami Dolphins last week. Brian Flores is his former defensive coordinator. Their offense scored 24 points, um, but they lost the game because they gave up 27. Earlier this season, they obviously played uh, the Miami Dolphins again. They won that game 43 to nothing. Okay, Last season, they played the Tennessee Titans. They lost 34 to 10. They also played the Detroit Lions and lost that game 26 to 10. And they lost to the Texans this year, 28 to 22. And they lost, exactly. They lost to the Texans as well. So against former coordinators, sometimes this Patriots offense hasn't looked good. And the reason why I'm only going back the last couple of years is you and I both know, Adam, this Patriots offense was much better. Yeah. 16, 2015, 2014. They're very different the last couple of years when Gronk wasn't himself and when they don't have Gronk. Uh, so that's why I'm looking at just the last couple of years. It is going to be interesting. What is Vrabel going to do? What types of things is he going to do defensively to try to give his team an edge after holding Brady to 10 points? If you remember that game last season with a better offensive line that Tom Brady had at that point in time, They went down to Tennessee and they actually did not even let Tom Brady finish the game because he was getting hit so much. They put in the backup quarterback to finish that game. The game was out of hand and Brady was getting hit a lot. Um, Vrabel can scheme up some things and come up with some things here that are going to give his team an edge. Um, If that happens, if the weather becomes a factor, I do have some concerns about this game hitting the total. But if the weather is reasonable... I think that there is a very good chance that this game does exceed the total. Um, The point spread, a lot of people think that this point spread is a little bit low. I will also say that um, there's a fair amount of the public that thinks Tennessee is going to come in here and win and win pretty easily uh, just because they are down on the New England Patriots. They think the Patriots aren't good. They just saw the Patriots lose to a team in the Miami Dolphins who were supposed to be tanking this season. Um, I think this game is going to be very tight. I could actually see it go either way. I think there's a ton of variance to the result in this game. I've done nothing um, from that perspective here. I think it's a tough game to handicap from the overall winner's perspective against the spread. And the left go pick for that one will be Mohamed Sanu has a monster game and the Patriots win tight game, but it gets comfortable late and they win by double digits. I'm just not, I, I don't, all of y'all saw in the Patriots. I just, 
I don't get it. I just, I, I, I get it, but I don't get it. I know what your eyes have seen is the Patriots, okay? Pat Pat's in the back telling me that I'm right. All right, Sunday, 1 o'clock, the rematch of the Minneapolis Miracle, Vikings at Saints, started off as Saints favored by 7.5, went up to 8, back to 7.5. It is the biggest spread of the week. It is probably a mix of the Saints. Everyone thinks that Drew Brees and Sean Payton are unbeatable in, in the Superdome and that Kirk Cousins in primetime always has an issue. Dalvin Cook has been resting his shoulders from weeks 13 to 15, taking limited snaps, completely sat out week 16 and 17. He should be ready to go. Alexander Madison is out. Saints, they are down Sheldon Rankins. They are down Marcus Davenport. Very quietly, this defensive line has gotten beaten up in the last few weeks. That's one of their best pass rushers. It's one of their best interior defensive linemen. Cam Jordan is their best defensive lineman. Both quarterbacks, much better indoors. Kirk Cousins has been great indoors. Maybe Kirk Cousins' best season. Drew Brees has been unbelievable. Drew Brees, over the last nine games since he's gotten back, his quarterback rating, 116.3. The best of any stretch of his entire career. Hall of Famer Drew Brees is performing better right now, quarterback rating-wise, than at any point of his career. Injuries on the other side, I'm just going to clear out those. Eric Kendricks banged up with a quad. Huge. I mean, when you're facing Alvin Kamara on those guys, your middle linebacker, it's a big deal. And Mackenzie Alexander, their slot corner, banged up with a knee. Um, one other note, and I'll add more notes later. This is a revenge game for Latavius Murray taking on the Vikings. I, if you're betting DFS, I love revenge games. They always seem to pay off. But let's start off with Kirk Cousins. Adam Thielen is back. Stefan Diggs is healthy. Stefan Diggs has put up monster games against the Saints. Six for 137 in a touchdown, 10 for 119 in a touchdown, seven for 93 in two touchdowns. And Eli Apple, I believe, is out for the Saints. So a lot is going to be on Janoris Jenkins, the new signing for New Orleans. But let's start off with Kirk Cousins versus Cam Jordan in that defense. Actually, I apologize. EDSR. How are, how's the mismatches here? My apologies. Yeah, so on EDSR, this is, uh, and the spread indicates, this is the most lopsided of the slate this weekend. Uh, Saints have advantages offensively and defensively when you look at traditional year-to-date EDSR. Let's switch over, and so it's the number one strongest edge towards the Saints. If we flip over and look at um, what the teams did the last Four weeks of the season. Um, once again, New Orleans has a decided edge. Okay. It's the strongest of the season. But I want to throw out one interesting element here with this trending model that you suggested I build that I went in and developed. Yeah. Since week eight, the offense that everybody seems to love, the Minnesota Vikings, they're coming along. We like what they're doing. They've got some run game. They've got some pass game. Kirk Cousins playing well. This team's winning games. Could buy for a first-round buy. They rank as the NFL's worst EDSR offense since week eight of the season. Literally dead last in the NFL on early down efficiency since week eight. 
the New Orleans Saints offense ranks number two over that same span. Wow. The Minnesota Vikings absolutely must figure out a way to stay efficient and move the chains on that side of the ball. But where do you want to start breaking this Well, well, let's stay with that. With this EDSR right now, the Vikings, this is a team with Mike Zimmer that we know is obsessed with the run. Kevin Stefanski has been pretty much told, you're running the ball because the last guy is out of here because he didn't. Is that the reason? And is this something that, do you believe the Vikings offense can turn it around against the Saints? Because I know the Saints run defense has been very stout. Yeah, that's what it's going to come down to um, is the strategy and what I think that the Minnesota Vikings need to do if we start breaking the game down. Um, I won't go this as deep yet, but I think they there are things that they can do offensively to limit the types of groupings and decisions that they're not as good at, emphasize the ones where they do have more success. And I think it's very important, very vital that they have a great first 20 minutes of this game. I know a lot of people talk about, you know, the, 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 the last five minutes of the first half and the first 10 minutes of the second half. That is very important too. But the first 20 minutes of this game so that you ensure that the Saints aren't up 14 to three on you. Because this is not the type of offense in Minnesota that can come back on an opponent without using play action, right? They need that run. They need the game to be tight so that they can have a threat of the run so that their play action is going to see a little bit more success. It's not to say that they sh- that play action is not going to work at all. Like play action is going to be- have an advantage, but the defense is going to play you differently if they actually care that you're running the ball than if it's the third quarter and you're down by 21 points and right. you're trying to do play action and they're just like, we want you to run the ball. We don't want to bite on this. Like it's, it's not exactly the same. So they need to come out aggressively from a play calling perspective and try to put up points on this board early because I really think the Vikings defense, yes, their offense ranks 32 in my early down metric. I think their defense is overrated. And I think the Saints offense is going to be scoring on them. Uh, is there anything else on the Minnesota offensive side of the ball numbers that you really want to dive into? Well, what 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 sticks out the most in terms of you were mentioning what they need to do more, what they need to avoid? Yeah, definitely. Uh, teams pass the ball. It's crazy. They pass the ball eighty two percent of the time on the Saints from eleven personnel during the first three quarters, well above the NFL average, which is like sixty nine percent eleven personnel. A lot of the teams that the Saints have played tend to use a lot of 11 personnel. They want to stretch out the Saints with three wide receivers and then just because the D-line has been stout all year. You, they were The Saints were one of the top run defenses all year, so teams have been trying to spread them apart. And you know what's crazy is that the Minnesota Vikings, I just said the NFL average is 69% 11 personnel. The Minnesota Vikings use 11 personnel to pass the ball quarters one to three 26% of the time, only 26%. Wow. It's the lowest rate in the NFL. Number two isn't even close to them. It's actually the Philadelphia Eagles, whose all their receivers have been banged up. So they right. use over 50% 12 personnel. But the Vikings rarely pass from 11. And they absolutely need to be consistent with that. Now, if you look at some of the teams that the New Orleans Saints have played that tend to use in these particular matchups, 11 personnel 
a little bit less. I mentioned the average is 82%. Let's look at like the last 10, seven to 10 games. What are the teams that were at the lower end of that spectrum usage of 11 personnel? It was the Tennessee Titans in week 16, go back two weeks, the San Francisco 49ers in week 14, go back two weeks, the Carolina Panthers in week 12. What did those teams do when they lowered the rate of 11 and actually went and passed the ball from some non-traditional pass groupings, sometimes 12, sometimes 21. All three of those teams put up points. That's what, that's the, you got, you got, you jumped ahead. That's exactly correct. But let's go there. All three of those teams were able to score points. The Tennessee Titans put up 28, San Francisco put up 48 and beat them. 31 was the Panthers. Put up 31 in a game that they covered the spread too. So all these teams are putting up points. How are they generating these points? Well, Tennessee passed from 12 personnel 30% of the time. During those 30% of passes, 9.2 yards per attempt and a 56% success rate. So this kind of lends perfectly into what the Vikings can do. Exactly. Load up heavy and pass if they do it. Yes, 100%. San Francisco passed from 21, 23% of the time. And when they were doing that, they averaged 12.2 yards per attempt and a 56% success rate. And when Carolina chose to pass from 12 personnel, which they did 21% of the time, 10.4 yards per attempt and a 50% success rate. What the Minnesota Vikings need to do, they've been terrible when they pass from 11. On the season, only a 44% success rate. But in quarters one to three, they're only successful passing from 11 personnel at a 40% clip. Every other grouping that they use, whether it's 12 or 21, which is what they use most often, and then they'll sprinkle in some 13 and some 22, they're above 52% in every single one of those. So from 40% out of 11 or at least 52% out of all the heavier yeah. set, they Look, almost, in my opinion, need to scratch a lot of the 11 person. Any, I don't care that it's 23%. Only do 11 personnel on occasion, rare instances. And here's where you do 11 personnel and you get them. Minnesota is great when they pat, when they trot out three wide receivers in that first quarter and go play action. They tend to screw the defense completely. So here's what I want you to watch. I, I always love throwing out nuggets during these games to sure. the guys that are listening and watching it at home. Watch when in that first quarter of the game, look to see when Minnesota does the rare occasion, trot out three wide receivers and watch to see if they use play action and what the result of that play is. That's going to be something very easy. Quarter one, I want you to pay attention to. The other thing I want you to pay attention to is how often are they using three wide receivers over the course of the game? Hopefully, it's very minimally if you want the Minnesota Vikings offense to have some success. This is a Minnesota offense that had success the last time they faced each other, not including the playoffs, but when Kirk Cousins lost to the Saints on Monday Night Football, it was not the Vikings' offensive fault. Remember, there was a few fumbles there by Diggs. Cousins went 359 yards, two touchdowns and interception. To what you're saying, too, this Vikings offense to where it was at the beginning of the year, personnel-wise, completely different. Irv Smith has come into his own. They're using a lot of double tight end sets with Kyle Rudolph now, less Ola B.C. Johnson, and they really can go Thielen Diggs, Irv Smith, Kyle Rudolph, and Dalvin Cook. So what you're saying to me is, if the Vikings start off, they can get Cook running. They get a lot of good passes out of 21 person, excuse me, 12 personnel. That 
maybe you do some in-game betting with the over, and maybe you might shade a little bit to Minnesota if they're having success early because my guess would be if the Saints jump out to a 14-3 lead, that line's not going to be able to get touched. It's it, The line will be like 17, something like that. Is that kind of what you're saying to me? Well, what I think what I think needs to happen here is that scoring needs to be high for the Vikings early in this game. They have to put up points. They have to attack down the field. They have to use these heavier sets to scare the New Orleans Saints defense. They absolutely can't just come out and try to run the football on early downs where they rank the worst in the NFL and try to avoid these third downs and go into situations where it's third and seven or third and eight against I know the pass rush is weaker, but that stadium is insane, and you now can't use play action on these third down plays. You've got to throw the ball from heavier sets on early downs to have some success and get out to an early lead. So in terms of in-game betting, like I think the points need to come early. So if the points already occur, then you're kind of behind the eight yeah. ball. Where you may want to look is an in-game under if if there's a lot of points early because Minnesota tends to lose effectiveness from play action later in the game. Um, but it's very scary to look towards an angle like that. I'm I'm really interested. Also, there's a lot of intrigue on the other side of the football too. Let's get to it. That ball. What where what is the most intriguing part of it to you? The New Orleans Saints have played four top ten pass defenses this year, and look at what they've done to them. 31 against Tampa Bay and won that game in week five with Bridgewater. 36 against the Bears in week seven and won that game with Bridgewater. 34 against the Bucks once again in week 11 when Tampa started to play a lot better against uh, under Todd Bowles. That defense and secondary improved a ton. And then 46 against the San Francisco 49ers in week 14. They lost that game, but only because the 49ers put up 48 points. So what should this tell you? It should tell you that with or without Drew Brees, that this team can put up points in bunches, 30-plus points, even against the best pass defenses that they are facing. I believe that the Minnesota defense is overrated, and I think that it's going to be imperative if they look at these numbers. See, when you're when you're playing various different teams, you have to come into it knowing what we do well and what we want to try to do, but you have to have some understanding as an offensive play caller and as a game plan coordinator as you're putting this thing together. What does this opposing offense do to my defense? Because I might need to craft my game plan a little bit differently. And all I'm saying is you can't come in here and expect that 24 points will get you the win. 27 points on a decent day from your offense will get you the win. You have to come in here thinking there's a very good chance we need to score 30 points to win this game. So you have to be a lot more aggressive with that. Um, the Saints need to use a lot more varying personnel, just like the Vikings that use very little 11 personnel. The cool thing about the Saints is they hardly use 11 very often either. They use a lot of 12 and 21. They flip things all around. This Vikings defense is worse against every type of uh, uh, offensive personnel grouping, whether it's 11, whether it's 12, whether it's 21. They are worse this year than they were last year when the Saints hung 30 on them. Only eight NFL defenses, I think ever, have allowed more yards to wide receivers than this Vikings defense. Michael Thomas is going to have a field day again. And that's not really a big 
like declaration. It's Michael Thomas. We've never seen anyone do what he's done. Alvin Kamara against Minnesota the last two games, 15 for 105 and a touchdown, 20 for 76 and two touchdowns. So it, it, you really love this matchup for the Saints. And the way that Drew Brees is playing right now, I mean, this could be surgery. I do. I mean, look, Drew Brees set records this season, became the, you know, statistically the best quarterback in NFL history from a yards per. From a uh, total perspective. Yeah, from a total perspective. The guy is a surgeon. And, I, you know, looking at what Michael Thomas has done this year, he obviously set the record for most reception. I'm looking at this office. I'm like, OK, it should be easy. Like, let's just double Michael Thomas. But the problem is. Breeze is the most accurate quarterback in NFL history. And Michael Thomas has hands like a vacuum cleaner that just suck that ball in. It's so rare that he drops it. So Breeze is throwing this ball like pinpoint precision to a specific location on the part of the body where the defender is not. And Thomas just can catch him, even if it means he's scooping it one inch off the ground and, and cradles it and knows how to roll over, that these things are all completions. It's absolutely insane the efficiency that these two, two produce. So it's very hard to cover him. I also like what they did to close the season with Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara had looked like garbage, more or less, for a good part of this season. Nowhere near what we saw from him in 2017 and 2018. And the last couple games of the season, they were emphasizing getting this guy carries, getting this guy rushing touchdowns, and really kind of what I felt like motivating him, uh, padding his ego, letting him feel a little bit more part of this offense that we need you down this stretch. And he started to deliver in those last couple games. If you get him with breeze on point, it's just going to be very difficult for a defense like Minnesota's, in my opinion, to contain the New Orleans saints. Um, I, I think this game is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, the thing about it is, as I've kind of mentioned, you could probably get this from what I've said. I'll state it quite directly. New Orleans should have success offensively doing what they do well, right? Just do what you normally yeah. do. You're going to have success. Minnesota should have some semblance of success, but they need to emphasize these things I mentioned earlier in order to have a shot at winning this game. They can absolutely not afford to be the least efficient team in the, in the NFL from an early down perspective here. They absolutely must scrap more of their 11 personnel unless they're going to play action from it. They absolutely must get Kirk Cousins to be more aggressive down the field, and they must utilize more of the passing from heavier personnel here. All right. Uh, total or side? Either of them jump out to you there? Once again, um, it's the same refrain, except for this next game we're going to discuss. Total has been bet up. Total open 47 at most spots. It's sitting at 49 and a half. Um, I don't really see a lot of value at 49 and a half. 49 and a half, people have to remember, like, it doesn't sound like a lot when you're talking about the New Orleans Saints, but this is a playoff game. And they've got a playoff game next weekend as well if they win this one. And of course, you're the Saints. You're hoping you're going to score a lot here. But in order to hit this type of number, and I, again, I think the Saints are going to have some success doing what they do. Um, so I think they're going to do their share of getting close to this number. You're going to need that effort from Minnesota's offense. You're going to need that productivity. You're going to need those red zone conversions. You're going to need no missed field goals. 
Um, and so do you have enough confidence in Minnesota to do that? If you do, if you have confidence that Minnesota's offense is going to be okay here, that the personnel losses to the New Orleans Saints defense are going to be magnified enough that this is going to create a big edge, the return of Dalvin Cook, et cetera, et cetera, then yes, I, I say you would look towards the over here. This would be a very game, uh, tough game to take the under in, um, but I think at this current number, it's just very tight by my math and my model. You know how many um, games hit 49 in last year's wild card? No. Zero. Um, Seahawks, Cowboys, Colts, Texans, Chargers, Ravens, Eagles, Bears, all under that. If you go to the year before, one hit 49. Saints, Panthers hit 57. Uh, but that was that was an up and back one. The year before, only one. So... You look at like the last 16 games in the wild card round three have hit over 49. So it's a big number. Um, There's there's a lot of uh, up and back there. One last element on this game before we go to last one. The referees. I know you love talking about it. Um, It's fucking clean. And no, I don't, I don't, I haven't looked at who the referee is here, but what I want to tell you is this. Oh, because it's in new Orleans have played a major role in some games with the Saints, especially knocking them out of the playoffs last season. And I will be really interested to see close calls that end up going in New Orleans' favor, right? PIs that end up, oh, we'll we'll err on the side of the caution for New Orleans. We've seen Sean Payton challenge some of these calls make big stinks about some of these things, even this season in the media about the refereeing and the way that they're calling pass uh, interference and things of that nature. So, you know, pay close attention here to how refereeing and decision-making goes um, in this game. I have definitely felt at times there have been situations this year that the Saints get a little bit of the benefit of some of these calls. Now, I know Saints fans are going to come out and say, are you crazy? We're the ones getting screwed all the time, right? But I think around the league, non-Saints fans will have the general opinion if they're watching these games closely that, yes, it makes more headline news. It's kind of like the whole thing that I was talking about with regard to Lamar Jackson, right? Like, you remember the big ones that go against the Saints, right? But there's been a lot of little decisions along the way that have not had the big headlines and storylines that have gone in their favor. So just pay attention to the officiating of this game. Head referee for Viking Saints is Carl Cheffers. Uh, he is in his other job a sales manager. And uh, I hope you guys get excited. The umpire, Rich Hall, his other occupation is custom cabinetry. Uh, one other one, the side judge, Jim Quirk, in this game is also a financial advisor. It's the part of the NFL that I love. Okay, Sunday, 4 o'clock, the main game, Seahawks at Eagles, greatest franchise in the history of sports. Uh, referee in this game is going to be Sean Smith. Uh, his side job is an internal auditor, just in case you guys were interested in that. Um, Eagles right now, they started off as what? A point, point and a half favorite. Uh, and now it has turned into Seattle being a point and a half favorite. This line started off as 46. It's been bet down a little bit. Some places at 45 and a half. 
Injuries abound all over the place. No Brandon Brooks for the Eagles. We are expecting Miles Sanders to play. I don't know about Lane Johnson. We'll see if he plays. Seahawks, Quadri Diggs, Genevieve Clowney. We're going to wait and see who actually plays in this game. Um, which side of the ball would you like to start off on? Well, let's first hit uh, the EDSR advantage. Oh, yes, 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 please. Uh, so over the course of the entire season, the Philadelphia Eagles do have the advantage. It wow. is third strongest advantage, so second weakest advantage, but um, they do have that going for them. Uh, and it's primarily split on sides of the ball. Seahawks offense, much better than the Philadelphia Eagles, but the Philadelphia defense, much better than the Seattle Seahawks. So that's year to date. If you only look at the last uh, several games of the season, the last four or five games from a trending perspective, uh, this is actually the second strongest favor to the Philadelphia Eagles that we have out of the four yes. games. Um, and where they've really gotten strong and made improvements is their offense, actually, from an early down perspective, over the last four weeks of the season. Um, now, granted, you got a game against the 49ers in there. You got a game against the Rams in there, whereas the Philadelphia Eagles have played, you know, the Giants and the Redskins and the Cowboys defenses. So it's not really apples to apples comparison, but the Eagles offense is actually edged slightly ahead of the Seattle Seahawks if you're not adjusting for schedule here. Uh, but defensively, Philadelphia, very strong Seattle, very weak on early downs. Uh, let's start off with that side of the ball then. Eagles offense, Seahawks defense, Carson Wentz has come alive ever since really I feel like Alshon and Nelson Aguilar were all taken out and it turned into the Greg Ward Jr., a guy named Deontay Burnett, a guy named Robert Davis. I mean, I was watching the Seahawks game with Mina Kimes and we were like, I've never heard of these wide receivers before and we're not afraid to admit it. I'm not going to be too proud professionally. Boston Scott, uh, Dallas Goddard has come out of nowhere. But this Eagles offense against a Seahawks defense that is not what it used to be. What kind of success can Eagles have on this side of the ball? Well, it's going to be a challenge um, for the Eagles offense here. And first and foremost, injuries are a massive part of this game. Now, I know both teams lament the losses that they've had. But what I feel like we see at least on Twitter and social media, is like the Seahawks fans are like, oh my God, I can't believe the sky's falling. This is so unfair. We've lost these two starting running backs and like, what are we going to do? The Eagles are sitting here losing guys left and right. They've been dropping like flies for two years now, the most injured team in the NFL over the last two years. And they just continue to say, next man up, we're going to devise a game plan that maximizes the weapons that we've got and we're going to try to take advantage of our opponent and they've done a really good job at that so uh but i will say that being said the biggest loss i think for any team from a personnel perspective this entire weekend uh for their offense probably is zach Ertz. yeah zach Ertz. number one what it what it prevents the eagles from doing it changes their game plan entirely because they want to be a uh, 12 personnel team. But I'm, I just, I'm still seeing a lot of Perkins out there. He caught the touchdown against the Giants, but it's not the same as Zach Ertz. I get that. Yeah, they're going to put a guy in there, right? And he's 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 Perkins, but he is not the same as Zach Ertz, not even close. And the problem is it's that chemistry. It's like Dak Prescott losing 
Well, it's like Tony Romo losing Jason Witten, right? If you don't have Des Bryant there, like it's your number one go-to guy by far. If you remember midway through, maybe three quarters of the way through last season, which I hate dissension arising in locker rooms, it was Zach Ertz is getting too many targets. We need to stop targeting Zach Ertz. This was coming from like theoretically somebody in the Eagles locker room. It was Nelson Aguilar. And Zach Ertz is like in route to be the most receptions by a tight end in NFL history, right, at that point in time. And he beat and Jason Witten's record. He's He is literally like the most consistent player for Carson Wentz that there is. He's reliable, dependable, allows you to use two tight ends so that you can run or pass out of these formations easily, and he's where he needs to be, and he got great hands. He's but a good he has a broken rib and a lacerated kidney, and he was limited in practice, so he might not play. Look, I don't know medically, but a lacerated kidney is not something to toy around with here. And yeah, I'd be very surprised if they let him play. It's usually I, a season-ending injury, a lacerated kidney. Yeah, and I, I don't, I don't know, but I'm approaching this game from a from a matchups perspective, assuming that he's not going to go. So if if they can get him, then obviously like some of this stuff changes, and it's a big edge towards their health, but. I'm assuming he's not going to go. So Dallas Goddard's going to be your big-time number one uh, tight end target and most reliable guy. Um, it's going to change this offense's philosophy. And also, what's Miles Sanders' status? Miles just, Sanders, I believe, uh, it, did not participate so, in the last practice. He watched on Wednesday. So if I'm the Eagles, I am not using. I'm not even letting him practice. Test it on Friday. I am waiting as long as humanly possible. I'm letting my other guys get the reps, and I'm letting Miles Sanders wait until Sunday morning. If he could go, we're going to stick him in there. It's a low ankle sprain. It's not the high ankle sprain. It's a low ankle. Get as much therapy, rest, and rehab as possible. He either goes or he doesn't go. But I would not, if, if you are, like, looking to do Miles Sanders props or handicapping the game and you think Miles Sanders is a necessity for him to be there, um, I would not be deterred by the fact he does not practice on Friday if he does not practice on Friday because I would think that they would want to just wait as long as possible to stick him in there. Does not mean he's not playing right. just because he doesn't practice Friday. Whereas for Sorry, most, I, I have the biggest crush ever on Boston Scott and Greg Ward, so it's totally fine. Do you think this Eagles offense can have success against the Seahawks defense? Does it, does it line up well with, with all the injuries to Ertz and everything? It does because every offense lines up pretty well against the Seattle Seahawks right now. Seattle's defense is a big problem for them. They don't get the pass rush, which helps the fact that the Eagles' O-line is not 100%, and their coverage is lacking. The big issue here, the big wild card for me in this game, because I'm assuming Ertz is not playing, and I don't know if we're going to get Sanders or not. The big key is the new safety that Seattle brought in. You mentioned his, uh, his name is Skate. Andre Diggs. Diggs, yes, Diggs. From Detroit. If, if, he's from missed Detroit. the last few games with an injury, but he's been unbelievable. And I believe he practiced uh, after not having practiced for a few weeks. He actually practiced earlier this week. Yeah, I limited think participation. Yeah, and I think there's a very good chance that he goes here. And he changes a lot for this Seahawks defense because he's so good in run protection, but he also can be a little bit of a ball hawk back there. And he is a really big asset for that defense, a really big get back 
uh, for them. As we know, Jadavian Clowney is not quite 100 percent, has not been quite as disruptive. Um, it's going to come down to a few things here. We saw the last time these teams played. It was just a few weeks ago. Carson Wentz must maintain, because we're talking about the Eagles offense right now, Carson Wentz must maintain good ball security here. He can't let the pass rush knock the ball out of his hands. He's got to get the ball, rid of the ball quickly if he needs to. And above anything, I know Carson is like a, not that far removed from his knee surgery and he's a massively important guy. You In games like this, you have to run your quarterback. If you got a guy who could be somewhat mobile, you have to run him. So the Eagles must get yards on the ground from Carson Wentz. He absolutely, if there's a run, open run lane, you got to take it. Because just, in, unless you guys got guys wide open running free in the secondary, but if there's open run lanes and you can just pick up a first down or pick up eight yards yeah. on a second and nine, you got to go for those types of free handouts um, and not risk like trying to force the ball into protection or you, you're already at a detriment. You're not going to have Zach Ertz. Most of your other guys don't have matchup physical matchup edges over the de- defense. So get those free yards when you can um, and, and run Carson. Uh, this is going to be the most exciting game of the weekend in my book because Russell Wilson versus Carson Wentz is like, put everything on my back and we'll figure it out. I think Viking Saints will be the highest scoring. Um, on the other side of the ball, Russell Wilson only put up, what was it, 17 points against the Eagles when they played in Philadelphia earlier this year. But remember, DK Metcalf dropped a wide-open touchdown, and Russell Wilson had one of the worst throws of his career where he rolled out and saw a wide-open Jacob Hollister, also could have ran it in and just airmailed it. So really, it was 17 points, but Rashad Penny had a 50-60 yard touchdown run in that game. And Russell really did leave a lot of points on the board. The Eagles could have lost that game by 24-28. It was a much different Eagles game. That was the first time that the Greg Ward even played this season. Boston Scott wasn't even really, I don't even know if he was on the roster at that point. You can't even identify it, but it's still Russell Wilson. And as we saw on Sunday against San Francisco, you could be down double digits with five minutes left, and he's going to find a way to get you there. What do you see about the matchup between Russell Wilson and Brian Schottenheimer against Fletcher Cox and this Jim Schwartz defense? So this 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 side of the ball is fascinating for multiple reasons. Marshawn Lynch and Travis Homer really getting you excited. Travis Homer looked great. I must admit, he Travis was balling. Had burst. He broke a lot of tackles. Looked strong. He looked quick. Like. You know, and that's why I was like laughing at uh, on online on Twitter about these Seahawks uh, guys who were like, "Oh my God, we lost Chris Carson. What are we gonna do?" Like, yes, I know he's a good player, but he was what like five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars against the cap. You got other guys there. I know he was playing at a really high level, right. but running back production is not that difficult to replace, and it's not ideal. But if if that's gonna cause you to like rip your hair out and 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 say your season's over, then I think you're using the wrong philosophy. And that transitions into the point of what is Seattle's philosophy going to be here? Because we know the strength of the Philadelphia Eagles is their run defense. And we know that Seattle and Pete Carroll want to run the football. But if you're going to attack the Seahawks defense in the most efficient manner possible, it is going to be with Russell Wilson throwing the football. And they should be coming out in this game 
throwing the football early with Russell Wilson um, and not reserving those to like third down situations. But will they do that? How much trust do they have in their offensive line? Um, what happens when the pass rush gets there a couple times? Are they going to be like, okay, we're going to do what brought us here, which is run the ball. Let's scrap this like thinking that we're going to try to pass it a little bit more. Um, the Seahawks are just one of the more frustrating teams because of how good their quarterback is to watch them play. And I know you could say, oh, well, we've got a good run game. And I know you could say, well, we've our O-line is bad. But there have been teams around the league with great quarterbacks who have still excelled behind bad offensive lines because of the way that they're calling their passes and the play sequencing that they're utilizing. And I think that they could be doing a little bit more from that perspective in order to enhance the ceiling of their passing attack. But the biggest weapon that they've got by far is Russell Wilson. When the play breaks down, he's throwing the football on the run. He's insane. It's very hard to figure out where he's going with that ball and his pinpoint precision while moving about in the pocket, getting ready to run straight ahead to the side laterally is impressive. And you can't replicate that from a practice perspective, like, okay, well, let's have this guy try to do that. We'll, we'll practice against that. You can't replicate that. And even though the Eagles played them once before, like you mentioned, a couple of near misses that he had that were very uncharacteristic. It was pretty windy that day as well that you would think are unlikely that he would miss those this go around. Uh, what's your feeling about this game, man? It's an emotional game for me. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask a question. Okay. And then we'll call crack. I don't know if this, I don't know if you don't want me to ask this question. If you do cut it out from the podcast, but what, what, what went down with a few weeks ago, I raised the topic and I knew that earlier that week, you and Brian Westbrook buried this team. We did. And I did not like that, but I know you did it anyways. Because yeah. I think you've got a, a Super Bowl winning head coach and a playoff caliber quarterback yeah. and a team that seems to be able to overcome adversity. And while they were playing like crap, like I think a lot was possible, especially in this division. So let me ask you this. Going from that like a month ago to now – seeing them here, what do you think about this game? What do you think as a fan of this team? Try to remove the fandom and just think logically. Well, I, I to I address just, to address what you said, and, and you clearly thought I was going to be concerned about my previous things, I need the Eagles to operate as underdogs. I need them to think that all is lost because – I remember an Orlando Skandrick interview that I put on Twitter from Good Morning Football where it was after they lost to the Dolphins. And he went out there and said the most annoying thing about the Eagles locker room when he was on the team was they constantly think that they're just going to hit the switch. That Malcolm Jenkins and Fletcher Cox and all these guys are like, no, we can make a run when it counts in the playoffs. We'll turn it on. And he said... I don't see it. I don't see the switch. They just need to realize they're bad. I was playing my part. You need to kill the Eagles and say that they have no chance left for them to become the zombie Eagles and to make a run. The only time I like this team is when Doug can go in there and say no one believes in us. 
when they have expectations, when they were the best team in football heading into the season and the presumptuous Super Bowl pick for a lot of people, the predominant Super Bowl pick, then they don't really play well with that. It's better when they everyone says they suck. So I really think right now this is exactly what you want for the Eagles heading into the playoffs. The fact that I'm watching player interviews after the win against the Giants and they can say, look at Greg Ward, look at Boston Scott, look at all these guys that, that were not even on a team, that it almost gives them more confidence. It almost makes the Fletcher Cox and the, and the Carson Wentz's of the world play even better. This is the one team that I thought the Eagles could beat in the playoffs. I knew they were going to get a home game. Minnesota really scares me. They've matched up well. They've beaten us two times in two years. Um, the, the other teams that were possible, San Francisco, hell no. That, that just Kyle Shanahan's going to tear that defense apart with Jim Schwartz. This was the one other team that I thought was banged up enough and didn't use analytics enough, and we have already lost to them, which adds to the underdog mentality for the Eagles to pull out the win. This is also a team that has kicking issues. The Eagles, even though Fisher... Um, yeah, Jake missed. Uh, Jake Elliott missed two kicks in Week 16. He came back in Week 17. I think he's he's ironing that out. Um, it's the one team that I thought the Eagles had a chance to win, and they well, they got them. Uh, so they're not a team that really has a, an elite pass rush. They have very good defensive linemen. Um, they're they're banged up all over the place. And if they do win, I think it's going to be ugly. But I do think that if Carson Wentz can establish a lead, I'm going to be sitting at home going, we need more because Omar's coming and it's Russell Wilson. And it's going to come down to, I think, a late Seahawks drive. And if the Eagles can stop them and they've had success stopping teams in the wild card, Matt Ryan, when they made their Super Bowl trip last year, Mitch Trubisky, he drove down, they missed the field goal. They've been in these situations where the score is in the teens and it comes down to those late game situations and Jim Schwartz defense has made the one play to get it done. I never have confidence in these situations. I always bet against the Eagles in the wild card, and they end up winning the superstition. But I will say it's the one team that I do think the Eagles can beat in this game. I can't agree more with pretty much everything you just said there. Um, it makes a lot of sense. The matchup here absolutely is the most competitive matchup, I think, for them. Um it would have been nice having a late game at home against Kirk Cousins, right, where he doesn't play quite as well on the road in those situations um, and, and at a different time slot than 1 p.m. But you're absolutely right. I mean, the, all those, although the games were close this year with the 49ers, I personally definitively believe the 49ers are probably the best team in the NFC. And, like, that game against the Saints, if they do get that far and play the Saints – because uh, I, I'm not, we'll talk about it next week as high on the Green Bay Packers. I think that game will be epic once again. Yes. Um, would remind me of, do you remember when Kaepernick was with this 49ers and they hosted the Saints in that rock playoff game that was all, absolutely one of the best I've ever seen? That This game might rival that one. Um, but I will say this, home underdogs with revenge from a same season loss in this round. It hasn't happened all that much, right? Because most of the time, the team home teams are going to be favored. Right. Uh, but 2007, 
They are 6-2-1 ATS if they're the home underdog with same-season revenge. They've lost just two games of six. So they, they don't win as many, which you're not going to like, but they do well against the spread. But only two of those six losses that they've actually lost straight up were by more than three points. So most of the losses, they lost six, uh, six of these games outright of the nine, were by one to three points. So exactly as you're saying here, it could come down to a late final drive where can they step up in a tie game and prevent the field goal where you're up by one, like, uh, you know, 16 to seven, you're up 17 to 16. Can yeah. you prevent that drive that's going to score a field goal or will they kick the field goal? Will they make the field goal? Eagles beat the Falcons 15 to 13. Matt Ryan threw the ball through Julio Jones's hand. I mentioned the Mitchell Trubisky that was in Chicago. Uh, but even, um, with this, with this Eagles team, we've seen this, this situation a million times. I hate Jim Schwartz in late game situations. Typically, he's aggressive. what he does is I'm going to win the game. I'm going all out blitz because if we get there, I get all the credit in the post game about dialing up this seven man blitz. When the Eagles gave the ball back to Brady in the Super Bowl with just over two minutes remaining, I was having a conniption fit. Brandon Graham was able to make the play to get in there. This Seahawks offensive line can be beaten up from the inside. Fletcher Cox is going to have to make the plays, but I see this game in the teens or the low 20s with Russell Wilson with the ball at the end to win the game. But I do think the Eagles are going to have the lead. It's just that's how, the, that's how these games always go with the Eagles. That's my fan perspective. I appreciate that. I mean, my concern is we, I don't think – if you're backing the Eagles, that you can assume you're going to be able to hold Russell Wilson with those holes yeah. have in that secondary to points in the teens. I mean, even when he's played good yeah. defenses, like with great schemers like Bill Belichick, he's put up 24, 24, and 31 points. And Ronald, Ronald Darby is out. Jalen Mills is banged up, and he ain't even that good, and he's coming back. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins is really good at the line of scrimmage, but not good deep. And look, it is Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And DK really scares me. He looked real. He looked very comfortable against the Eagles' defense earlier this year. He just dropped the one deep ball. Yeah, and Lockett, you know, Lockett hasn't seemed to be quite as impactful. I'm not quite sure if he is banged up in some capacity that they're it's, it's not letting on as much as he's banged up. But yeah, DK is more physically imposing. He's really coming to his own with the offense. His chemistry with Russ is continuing to grow. Um, and he's he's a tremendous downfield threat. Like he could catch the ball short or deep just as well. Um, very and look, tough. And, and I don't expect Carson to make plays in his uh, playoff career. Zero interceptions and zero losses. Pretty impressive. He's, he's also been, not played in a postseason game. So I might just be uh, fucking with you guys right now. Well, the one, the one thing I'll say about that is the last two games literally were po- were playoff games for him. They were winner go home games for him against the Dallas Cowboys and then against the New York Giants. Um, and he performed really well in those games. He also did really good when he had to drive the Eagles back from trailing against the Giants earlier this year, like what, like th- three weeks ago in week like 14 or so. Um, and if he hadn't done that and they hadn't won that game in overtime where he put on like a ridiculous performance, um, they probably don't make the playoffs, right? So that was almost like a, we got to win this game. We cannot lose this game. 
um, and they were able to get it done. So, who would you pick in this game as we call crack? Who would you pick? Um, I would lean towards taking the home underdog here. I have not done anything on this game. I think teasers make a lot of sense um, for this game and the Saints game going down with the Saints and going up with the Eagles. Typically in, in the playoffs, line makers have done a pretty good job lining these games, so teasers become more valuable. And when you're going through the three and the seven in both legs, it's a pr- typically a really strong teaser. could lose. It's nothing scary. Right. Hello, guys. Oh, crack like a ding dong. How you feeling, pal? Good. I'm over at I'm at standing at Caesar's Palace, and uh, I'm actually right by the fountains where they filmed a great scene in Ocean's Eleven when the guy was running out with the money and he got shot from behind and the money flew everywhere. That's exactly where I'm standing right now as we speak. All right, don't get shot. We need your picks. This yeah. this weekend, wild card weekend, we've gone through the four-game slate. Uh, just from your perspective, have you already moved on anything yet? And is there a game that's caught your attention the most? Wise guys are on New England this week. Uh, the Patriots uh, minus four, which now went to like four and a half and five. But that's where the wise guys are on this week. And do you align with the wise guys? I, I, I tell you, this, this particular group is a winning sports betting group. So I would think that they, uh, you know, they, they know what they're doing. They've been winning all season. I, I always say that it's so tough to beat the NFL, but yet these guys have been pretty good this year uh, beating the NFL and beating NFL sides. So, Crack, you're good, uh, at, you're good at giving life advice as well as uh, betting advice. I'm curious, with, with so few games and also being such quality teams, because we are in the playoffs, do you have any good playoff mantras or lessons for people out there uh, that they might well, not be thinking about? That's a fantastic uh, question. And I'll, I'll just tell you, this weekend may be some good opportunities for teasers Traditionally, teasers have been really strong in playoff games, and the lines are so tight right now. These teams are so evenly matched, and even the motivation is the same for a lot of these teams. So you have situations here this week where you have the Saints minus eight. You can bring them down to one or, or even two. Uh, Seattle Eagles, maybe bring the Eagles past, you know, through the key numbers of three and seven. Same thing with the Bills. I like the Bills a little bit this week. So bringing them up through the key numbers of three and seven, I mean, you have some good opportunities for teasers this week. I usually never – uh, get excited about teasers, but this time of the year I will play some teasers and, and just make sure that uh, all you have to do is get it down to under three. So you don't want to play a seven-point teaser and bring something down to, to one, uh, uh, you know, or, or, you know, when you can bring something down to, to two, which is basically almost the same in the NFL. So make sure you're not playing any extra juice for them. Warren, Warren, Warren literally just said that right before you came on. So that is like lead oh, wow. pipe lock teaser in terms of a good way to attack wild card weekend oh wow i didn't know you yeah, didn't know we, we haven't talked ahead of time at all about these teasers so that's pretty interesting that he said that um i kind of lean to buffalo a little bit too here in this spot i think buffalo may be it may be a good spot so you could tease them i think that's probably a good uh a good way to go attack uh the teasers this week that's gonna be i'm probably gonna key on that and uh i haven't told warren that we haven't talked about it yet but that may be uh, the way I'm going. Warren, were you going to add something there? Uh, no, but I will say this. When you just another element here, and obviously Crack and I are reading from the same sheet of music, and it's a smart way to look at games. 
The other angle just to add in there is uh, when the total is lower, when less points are projected to be scored, those numbers are inherently more valuable. So, for instance, let's talk about the Saints game with a total at 50 at some spots now versus the Bills game with a total at 44. So there's projected to be one less touchdown scored in the Bills game, making the teaser that you're getting those six points on and moving through those key numbers slightly more valuable in plus EV. Great point. The lower the total, the better value you have on that teaser. Excellent, excellent point. And uh, uh, just to, you know, to go, because I know we talk about the Eagles every week, they might be the worst team in the playoffs, but like I said, uh, Philly is playing, uh, you know, playing in Philly is so tough. It's the toughest place. The fans are just probably the toughest fans in, in the sport. So that may be an interesting one you could tease up too. Um, you know, there's going to be, and by the way, this is a part of the year that I'll actually watch the games. It's for real. So I have fun, and I enjoy watching these games with my buddies, where during the regular season I'm really not so much inclined to watch games. So You actually watch that's... these games, Crack. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. These games I'll watch. This is for real. This is, this is playing for real, so I'll actually watch them. And you know that. the interesting point that Crack just made there about that Eagles game is probably I haven't looked at all the bet splits, but I'm I'm pretty close to being confident. Maybe apart from the Saints, which obviously are massive favorites, right? That the Eagles are the team that nobody in the public wants to back. This is like the worst division in the NFL this season. It's been discussed in the media for weeks and weeks that oh my god, I can't believe one of these teams is actually going to make the playoffs because the NFC East stinks. Nobody right. from this division should go. And I think they're probably like you're going to see a lot of public money that just thinks, oh, all I have to do is bet Seattle minus one, one and a half to win this game. Like they're definitely going to take care of this terrible Eagles team. I love it. Excellent. Excellent. Very good point. All right, crack. Enjoy the games this weekend. Thank you as always. And as I've already mentioned, please do not fall into the fountain with a gunshot wound. Great. Fantastic stuff. Really appreciate it, guys. Have fun this weekend. You're the man, as always. We talk to you. Thanks, guys. All right, download the Crack Wins app. Crack gives out his picks, and as I always say, this time of the year, bowl season, college basketball, that perfect for him. So apparently the teasers are, uh, uh, you guys both like that. It's When you get eights and twos, I feel like you guys are like, we have to tease. There's too much value here. I, I know that there are some uh, pros that, like, we are aware of um, and, and work within capacities that almost any time they would have to hate a side. They would have mm. to hate to not include some teasers when you're getting through those threes and sevens. So, um, yeah, like it, it, it definitely makes a lot of sense um, in those games. And, and uh, it's a good it's a good angle this week. But. You then threw out the word lock, and then they're probably not going to hit. But. Of course. Oh, no, no, no. They're going to fail. They're going to be awful. No one's going to make any money on them. In fact, you should stay away. It's yeah. a lock they would lose, right? It's a lock that they yeah. would lose. All right. So you're going to be here next week, your favorite week of the year, divisional round of the playoffs. We're going to dive in again. Uh, full breakdowns today. Long podcast, but you know what? There's four games. It's the playoffs. This is why we're here. Uh, Warren, you can hit him up at Sharp Football on all forms of social media. His website, sharpfootballanalysis.com. And if you want to use any of his free statistics analytical algorithms, which is definitely not what they actually are, sharpfootballstats.com. But Sharp 
sportfootballanalysis.com. He is 64% lifetime in the postseason. And I can tell you're feeling pretty confident right now. Warren, any final message to the 33% before we wrap up? No, I, the last thing I want to say is, I hope you guys go back and take some notes when I was saying watch for this or watch for that in some various different games. Let's see how it goes. Let's see how it plays out. Also, watch to see the last thing I'll mention on the Minnesota Vikings game. Watch or actually listen to the announcers if they say that it's very important that the Minnesota Vikings start to get the run game established so that they can work their play action passing game. There's not a myth that bothers me more in the NFL than that, because if you look at the numbers and I tweeted it out at Sharp Football just right before the show, Minnesota is at their best using play action in the first quarter of games, and they're much worse in the second half of games. You don't have to establish anything. You just have to come out when the score is wide open and there's a threat to run the football to use their play action. So let, let's see if some of these things come to fruition that we were suggesting. When you hear the announcers say that, do you think that's coming from Zimmer? And then do you think that the Vikings are going to have a bad game plan? I mean, the the Vikings are the worst team in the NFL from an early down perspective. So I think that their game plan is probably not going to be optimal. It's going to suck. Yeah. I, I don't know that it's going to suck, but it could, you know, it it may not be optimal. Let's just put it that way. I hope it's better than what I think. But ne- yeah. my negative mindset is that that they need to be utilizing the play-action pass a little bit more aggressively early in this game. All right, Warren, enjoy the games. We'll be texting 33%. You guys are the shit. Enjoy as well. Hit us up and let you let us know what you think. For Warren Sharp, I am the L-E-F-K-O-E man, and we will holler at you later. Peace out, guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.